Christmas, everybody. How are you? Welcome, Orland Park. Welcome online. Welcome, New Lenox, Homer Glen, whoever you are, even at the North Pole. I know that we have online listeners at the North Pole. It's a small group. Elves. Elves, come on. Try, try, try to stay with me. Um, hey, we're doing uh, ugly Christmas sweaters this year. Talking about Unraveled. I'll explain it in a minute, but I really want to encourage you. I mean, what's a better place to wear your ugly Christmas sweater than to church? So let's bring them out. Let's see what you got. Life of the party. Jesus right here. I think Pastor Richie gave me this sweater, if I remember right. That would make sense, wouldn't it, for those that know him? Um, let me just say, as we get closer to our 23 Parkview services that we have going on, I am asking you to sign up and help us. We need your help. We have opportunities for you to help us in guest services, uh, to help us with Parkview kids, to make them feel welcome, birth through five years old. Fill out the form and drop it on your way out today. Really, we are having 23 services across our three campuses, and that doesn't even include all the people that are going to watch online. We are looking forward to having an amazing Christmas as we talk about Unraveled and how to live your life unraveled in you know, in a time when it, it is really unraveled, okay? So it's Christmas time in this city. That means how did Thanksgiving go? I mean, I, I just want to ask you, um, do you remember last year when we were complaining about not being with family? So how was it this year? Were you thinking about the good old days of 2020 a little bit? I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just curious. I remember, I remember posting last year, you know, that the governor said we can only have six people for Thanksgiving, but we could have 20 people for a funeral. So I posted that we decided on Thanksgiving to have a memorial service for our pet turkey named Butterball because uh, we really wanted to get our family together. You know I mean? We, so we might have broken a few rules last Thanksgiving. Uh, and I love my family. We, we had my Republican parents and my Democrat sister and her husband uh, at our house, and everybody got along this year. It's not election year. So, so that went pretty well. And uh, only one of my kids, the Harris family, are my kids that live in Nashville, the ones that have lived there for a long time. And uh, the other kids went to, to their families this year, so it was a little bit smaller. But we will, the, the thing is, it's funny about it, we'll always have Rachel and Ash and the kids because he's from England, right? I mean, I never have to share them with the other family at Thanksgiving, right? The British don't celebrate the pilgrims running away from them for some reason. So it's our holiday. We're, we're always going to have them no matter what. But, but I know a lot of you have uh, tricky family situations going on. So I guess, you know, as I've been thinking about it today, I, I do wonder, thinking back to the first Thanksgiving, were the pilgrims so grateful that first Thanksgiving, maybe partially because they didn't have to go back to England and be with their crazy relatives? You ever think about it? I mean, it's a, it's a goofy thing to be with your family. And at Christmas time, it gets magnified because we have to be together and we're supposed to get along. And it becomes this thing that very quickly, as a Christmas sweater, starts to become unraveled. And I think the biggest reason at Christmas time that things get so unraveled is because of the unrealistic expectations that we have going into it, right? We take all of those people with all of their humanness and their dysfunction and we shove them into one place and, and we expect them to act differently than they act the rest of the year for some reason, right? We're like Cub fans. 
You know, we tell ourselves, this is the year, this is the year, right? And the holidays are going to be different. We spend the whole time working and planning and, you know, getting everything ready. And we have these huge expectations about what Christmas is going to be like. And I think that that's the problem. That's why things start to become unraveled. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about my family wasn't supposed to be like this. Okay, I want to go back to to Scripture and look at it and see what we're talking about when we figure out that, that maybe we have unrealistic expectations on what things are supposed to be like and how are we going to deal with it. Okay, Google perfect Christmas and you will come up with 30 million hits. And it will give you everything from how to pick the perfect tree to how to decorate the perfect tree, how to select the perfect gift, how to have the perfect Christmas table setting, right? I mean, so what happens? You have it all planned out, and then your real family shows up with all of their dysfunction and all their passive-aggressive behaviors, and everyone heads home, and we're left thinking, where did we go wrong? Have you seen four Christmases? I mean, I, I'm a, I, I, not my favorite Christmas movie. Obviously, Christmas Vacation is, but I'm a big Vince Vaughn fan, okay? If anybody knows Vince, tell him I want to hang out, okay? I, I know somebody does, okay? He and Reese Witherspoon play this young couple who both come from broken homes, and both of their parents are divorced, and they're crazy households, so they have four different unraveled families to deal with and they plan a trip every year to avoid them Um, you know they go somewhere far away and they lie about where they're going they try to make it sound like they're going somewhere nice until they get fogged in one year I'll let you watch the clip and then I'll get out of my ugly sweater Christmas. Yeah. Listen, um, actually, I'm sorry I didn't call you sooner, but we're actually heading out today to Burma. Yeah, no, that's exactly the island in Asia, Burma. We're not doing babies there. Yeah, we're going to be absolutely right helping out with these little kids. It is such a great cause, but honestly, it just sucks that we're not able to be there with you and the entire family because you know how much. I know, Mom, it's been three years since I've been there for Christmas. I really wish I would have called you sooner than I had, but uh, I think Kate sent all the gifts and stuff to you. Okay. That's Merry Christmas in Burmese. All right, I'll tell her. I love you, too. Bye. You learned Merry Christmas in Burmese. Honey, I gotta take everything to the next level. Come on, let's do this. I'm excited. rolled in and your flight's not going out. But what I can do is get you set up for standby on the first flight to Fiji tomorrow, okay? Yeah, see, tomorrow's not gonna be great for us because we've already scheduled a couple's massage as well oh, as- Oh, I'm sorry, sir. I don't make the fog. I deal with it. And the best I can do is get you guys set up with a suite at the Radisson, okay? And they're lovely accommodations. It's right next to the airport. Do you, do you promise that you can put me up at the Radisson? That's good, honey, did you hear that? Bad. No, no, that's terrific. Would it be possible to take us out to Sizzler? 
and get us McDonald's as a dessert. You know what right. I'm gonna do? I'm gonna start missing flights more often. Now that I know that this kind of red carpet service Brad, is available, because that's please. terrific. I got a sweet the rest. You know what? That's not helping, Brad, okay? Is there another airline that you're possibly affiliated with, like a sister airline that we could just transfer to? No, I'm sorry. But you a cousin don't. airline, do you have a cousin airline? The FAA has ruled that the Bay Area fog is simply too thick. No flights are coming in and no flights are going out until at least tomorrow morning. Now let's see how travelers are coping in all of this chaos. We have a couple over here. Excuse me, sir, excuse me. Oh, where are you headed for this Christmas? You certainly look dressed for vacation. We take it and then and, uh, and then we take the trips and then and then we take a tri trip, take the different trip. What he's trying to say is that we we plan a trip every year, and this is actually ruining our Christmas. Uh, you must be pretty upset. Are you visiting friends and family? This is Kate. Oh, hi, mom. I know, Mom. The, all the flights are canceled for today, but they're not really... Yeah, my dad. They're not sure dad. about whether or not it's going to be today. Honey, do you want me to answer it? Do I answer it or no? Do I pick it up or not? Yes, I, I know. You're making I me nervous. Look, 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 look. I know you're saying to me, but what too. are you saying? What do you I want have... me to do? I don't know what this means. I don't know what you're saying to me. Can't you feel it, though? I mean, the tension, and if you've seen the movie, I mean, you know what their homes are like. It, it's insane. And, and the reason it's funny is because we are all there. Okay, so that's the setup. Now that, now that you feel it, okay, listen to this. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. You've heard, most of you have heard that story so many times. You put the nativity up so many times that I think we lose the gut-level impact of what is happening here and how unraveled this situation really is. This young girl turns up pregnant. She knows she hasn't done the thing that makes you pregnant. And obviously, the majority of the people, including her family and Joseph, are not going to believe her when she tells him where the baby came from. I mean, this is a hard start to a marriage. And Joseph didn't believe her at first either. I mean, can you blame him, pregnant by the Holy Spirit? He knows it wasn't him who got her pregnant, so there is only one other logical explanation. And at this point, before the angel shows up, even if he does want to believe her, it's easy, is it easier or harder to explain to your family and your buddies that it really wasn't another guy, it was the Holy Spirit? Both options are terrible. So he chooses to break up quietly so she can save face and he can save face. 
And honestly, even after the angel shows up and told him that this was a supernatural thing, he knows he's still going to be the guy walking around trying to tell everybody he saw Elvis at a Burger King in Kalamazoo. Right? And how does Mary feel right about now? Joseph, I know it's hard to believe, but do you really not trust me more than that? I mean, do you think if I got pregnant in the normal way, I could have made up a better story, even if I was lying? Talk about unraveled. My family wasn't supposed to be like this. Think about the in-laws, okay? I have three daughters. Her parents must have blamed him and doubted their own daughter. Couldn't figure out why she was making up such a goofy story. And I'm sure Joseph's parents were protecting their son and blaming Mary and that other guy, right? I mean, imagine, I just imagine that Christmas vacation scene when the parents are all there and they're arguing about where they're going to park and it's ding dong, ding dong, ding dong. That's the situation the very first Christmas. And we have no idea how it all played out, but we know how we would have responded if we will just take the glamour away from the first Christmas and deal with the reality. They were messed up people just like us. So I want to show you one more clip. This is a clip from a great movie they made several years ago called The Nativity Story to kind of give you a little bit more of the impact, and then we'll talk about how to deal with it. She's back. Joseph. An angel told you this, that you would bear the Son of God. Mary. Elizabeth had a baby, even in her old age. Elizabeth has a husband! Women have been put to death for this. They could stone you in the street. Do you understand? You should have stayed with Elizabeth. Father. Father. I have broken no vow. Oh, you have broken every vow, Mary. Was it one of her soldiers? Was it? I have told the truth. Whether you believe is your choice, not mine. That's fascinating, isn't it? I mean, was it one of Herod's soldiers? Like, think of a better excuse, or, I mean, that kind of thing, unfortunately, would have happened back then. There's got to be some 
explainable reason for this, and it blows the whole family up. You go back to that verse again, the beginning. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit, okay? You can see the problem right from the very beginning. It's the was but problem. Did you catch all that? Mary was, here we go, was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child. Was but. It's a was but problem. Those two words go together in a sentence to describe the fact that something is being reversed. And when things are reversed, it's okay if they're good and the, if it was bad in the beginning and it's a was bad, but now it's good, okay? That's great. I was going to have to figure out what to get my wife for Christmas, but she made an Amazon wish list. Thank you, Jeff Bezos, okay? Right? This is just a hint, ladies. Don't say, oh, surprise me, okay? Uh, my wife told me that one year. I woke her up at 3 a.m. on Christmas morning and said, boo, and I'm still trying to work that one off. It's not, not going to work, okay? Give us some clue here. I'm trying to help the brothers out. I love was, but when it was a bad was. But if the was was a good thing, then the but is probably going to be a bad thing. It was going to be a great season for the Bears, but we barely beat Detroit to go to 4-7 to seven on the season, right? What I'm saying is that the first Christmas was a was but unraveled right from the very beginning. And I don't think it's an unrealistic expectation here either. I don't think it's an unrealistic expectation to think that the first family ought to have a perfect Christmas, Right? I mean, you think if anybody deserved a great situation, it would be Jesus because it's his birthday. And this is what's so frustrating to me about what we've done to Christmas. Listen, I don't, I, I don't really care about the commercialism. You know, I, I'm over all that. It doesn't matter to me if you use the X and make it Xmas. I just got to tell you that in the early church, that was the Greek symbol. X was the Greek symbol for Christ. They're not taking Christ out of Christmas. It was something the early church did. But you, you don't worry about all that stuff. What you should concentrate on is the reality of what the first Christmas was like. Because this makes Christianity so much different than any other religion. If God would allow his son to come down to earth and live in a crummy, unraveled situation, it's so different. It's so different than mythology. It's so different than any other kind of religion. Why would God do that? Because Jesus needed to come down from a real heaven down to a real earth and, and, and in, 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 incorporate a real reality into his life so that we would know that when it comes to the time when he says, in this world you will have trouble, that we can really believe him because he knows And we can holistically lay claim to the rest of the verse that says, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Not like coming in, you know, like the supernatural savior, right? I mean, because the incarnation, 
God becoming man was not a superhero savior riding in and saving the universe like Marvel or DC Comics would make it work, right? Christmas is about our superhero savior laying down his rights to the throne and laying down his superpowers to live in the middle of your unraveled mess and my unraveled mess. I just feel like if we can get a hold of that, it will help us with this whole season And honestly, if it helps us with this season, then it will help us in our life. Because here's what you need to know. In this world, you will have trouble. Your family may be kind of messed up. It may be even worse than that. But take heart. Because he has overcome the world. And he that is in you is greater than he who is in the world. That's the message of Christmas. Jesus still had his power. He just didn't use it like a superhero would, right? He zapped a fig tree once just for fun, you know, as an illustration. Like, eh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to zap that one. And it died immediately. But he never did that to anybody else. And he never used his powers for himself. He just healed people. Even as they were killing him, he didn't use any of his superpowers. And he came to earth And he put on the ugliest Christmas sweater you could ever find in the form of a baby born in a barn, laid in a feeding trough to parents who were wonderful spiritual guides for him, but at the same time living in the middle of a goofy, crazy reality that nobody believed their story. And it was messy. So what do we do? How do do we deal with our messy family? Okay, we'll talk more about this. I'm going to talk some more next week. My life wasn't supposed to be about this. I just, I love this story. I love teaching from this story. Uh, I I mean, it's, it's one of my favorite things to do because there's so much application to our life. But let's just stop for a second and go, okay, well, how am I supposed to deal with this? All right. First thing I want you to, I want you to understand is that you should love them anyway. Okay. They may be family. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy, right? And you don't get to pick your family. That's just the, the, the reality of it. One time I was preaching a sermon uh, and my in-laws were here and, uh, you know, my, my girls were little and I was, I, was, I was preaching about marriage back in Jesus' day and about Joseph and Mary having an arranged marriage and all that stuff. And I said, you know, as a father of three daughters, none of them were married at the time. As a father of three daughters, I still think the whole idea of parents picking out the husband is something that should still be a good idea. You know, I, I was just kind of like, you know, back off, boys. I, I you know, I want to handle this myself. And afterwards, my in-laws said, you know, you should rethink that. Because if that was still the custom, do you think we would have picked you? <laughs> Good point, okay? Good point. Well, one way or another, you're going to end up with some family, whether you pick them or not, they're going to be difficult, whether you're born into them or you're married into them. So listen to this from Matthew, and this is a very familiar passage to some of you from the Sermon on the Mount. I want to read it in the, in the message paraphrase, okay? Jesus said, you're familiar with the old unwritten law, love your friend and its unwritten companion, hate your enemy. I'm challenging that. I'm telling you to love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer. For then you are working out of your true selves, your God-created selves. This is what God does. 
He gives his best, the sun to warm and the rain to nourish everyone, regardless, the good, the bad, the nice, the nasty. And if all you do is love the lovable, do you expect some kind of a bonus? Anybody can do that. If you simply say hello to those who greet you, do you expect a medal? Any run-of-the-mill sinner does that. In a word, what I'm saying is grow up. You're kingdom subjects. Now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously towards others the way that God lives towards you. Jesus is saying, look, you need to, I know you heard love your neighbor and love your friend and an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth on the other side, but I'm telling you to love everybody. And, and don't expect a trophy for caring about, you know, the people that care about you. The mafia does that, no big deal. What I'm telling you is that the people that aren't like you, the people that don't like you, you're supposed to love them. So, so what I mean is stop trying to make family members pay up because it's not going to stop. That's the root of the mess, I think, at, at, at the holidays. The feeling that in some way, you know, well, somebody's gotten more than us or somebody, you know, you're sitting at the dinner table and you reach for the last piece of pie and your sibling breaks into a rant about, oh, you're so spoiled. Mom always gave you more than me, right? And you start getting back into this whole thing. If you try to get even with everybody, if it's an eye for an eye, man, how many parents, how many grandparents have spent countless hours trying to calculate down to the penny to make sure that they spend the exact same amount on on every child so that nobody will be offended or slighted. That's a big part of what this is. And I'm not making light of it because some of you have really been done wrong by a parent and it's not about how much they spent at Christmas. You've really been done wrong by a sibling. I mean, really in Jesus' definition, they would be a, an enemy and there are real wounds. All I'm saying is that if we see ourselves in charge of the universe, we're really never going to be free to be able to love them, and we're never going to be free ourselves. which brings me to the second one, which is, I, don't, I won't sing it, but you got to let it go. <laughs> Remember the angels didn't say peace on earth, goodwill towards those who deserve it. The angels didn't say goodwill towards people who have goodwill to you. The birth of Jesus is good news of great joy for all the people. And this is going to be hard for you to hear, but all people includes the ex-wife who left you. All people includes the boss who takes advantage of you, who get, takes credit for the work you do, who's threatening to fire you. It includes the mom or dad or stepmom or stepdad who did something to you that nobody should do to anybody, let alone someone in their own family. It includes the sibling who keeps mistreating you, the neighbor who keeps talking about you behind your back. The angel said all. And just in case you're wondering in the original language, all means all, okay? Everybody. And that Christmas means the goodwill of God towards all people is crucial of helping you find a path to a wonderful Christmas time. Because if you're still living with all of this bitterness inside towards the person who wronged you, you're never going to be whole. And obviously, Jesus tells us to love other people because he wants us to be like him. But part of it's for us, okay? 
The part of it is for us to get free and be able to enjoy the fact that I'm free from the slavery that it was put upon me. Christmas shows me that I can love even the most hateful, hurtful person, no matter what they've done, because Jesus came to save them, and they are the recipient of God's love just like me. And that person that you can't stand is so dearly loved by God that God sent his son down to die for them. And that person is loved by God that if they were the one running back to the father like a prodigal son did in Luke 15, that God would run towards them and welcome them back, whether you wanted them to be there or not. Okay, so whoever it is that you resent or you're bitter towards just think about them and you can take it to God and say God what they did to me wasn't right. I'm not passing that over, but I'm gonna let it go. God will you help me see the person that I resent the way that you see them. And please replace my bitterness with love. Because I can't do it on my own. I need your help. And when you ask God to do that and replace your bitterness, it's going to change your Christmas season. And and listen, loving the person that you're mad at isn't about how you feel. It's about what you choose. It's about choosing to ask God to forgive them for what they've done to you. Choosing to bring God and ask God to bring good things back into their life. Choosing peace and goodwill, okay? But to you... Jesus said, who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. That's a terrible verse. Can we just be honest? I mean, I'm sure if you heard me talk about Thomas Jefferson the other day, who cut things out of his Bible, I'm pretty sure he cut that one out. Because if I could, that would be one I would want to cut out. But we can't cut it out. Because that's what Christmas was supposed to be about in the first place. A God who came down to people who had sinned against him and loved them anyway. Pray, love your enemies, do good for those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who mistreat you. A friend of mine gave me this story and I have permission to share it. The bitterest part of me is hidden in the story of my relationship with my mom. Alcohol was and continues to be her favorite thing, thing she chooses over everything, including a relationship with me. And that's a tough thing for me to even write about, let alone say out loud. And when I start thinking about what she has done to me and my brothers and how it's robbed us of so much, how it's affected my relationship with my wife, and I'm sure in one way or another my kids, it feels impossible not to be bitter. But Christmas, Advent, is and will continue to be an adventure from bitter to something better for me. Because you know what? God doesn't see my mom the way I see her. I just see an alcoholic who wasn't there for me. But he sees a broken, hurting, lonely woman in need of peace and goodwill. The message of good news is for all, including my alcoholic mom, and I've got a long way to go, but with God's help and the support of my friends from church, I'm trading my bitterness for my mom into love for my mom. And it's happening. And here's the key. It's a sad key, but it's the key. She is not changing, but I am. 
And no way could that ever happen in my life if Jesus hadn't been born. And that's good news of great joy for me. One more thing. You do you, okay? Um, I know usually that is said in reference to, you know, well, we're going to disagree. You do things your way. I'll do things my way. But, but listen, there's an extent that you can go to and, and a line that you can't really fix, okay? And I love what Paul says in Romans 6, or Romans 12. He says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone, okay? If your alcoholic mom doesn't want to be with you, then there's not anything that you're going to be able to do about it. If those people don't want to reconcile a relationship, then you're not going to be able to have a relationship. If those people are dangerous to you, you should not reconcile the relationship. If it is possible, okay, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If they decide to do something else, there's nothing you can do about it. But again, I want to go back to what he said. She isn't changing, but I am. That's the only thing I'm concerned about. I mean, I love those crazy people in your life as much as God does. I really, really do. But what I'm concerned about right now is you and your heart and how you celebrate Christmas and not coming, becoming unraveled as you head into Christmas. Because you've just got to be able to do what you do and make it happen. And, and, and I was thinking about this today. You know, I don't think we've done this in a really long time. A lot of you, I won't ask for a show of hands, but a lot of you are very familiar with Alcoholics Anonymous. And a lot of you know the serenity prayer. And it's not a prayer that's in the Bible. It's something that uh, Beekner wrote a bunch of years ago. But I want to just show it to you. And I'd, ask, I'd like to ask you to pray it with me. And I'm going to do the long version. Some of you in AA don't know the long version as much. It's not really long. I just want to ask you, read this along with me. And let's pray this together as we head into the Christmas season. Because it has to do with this. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardships as the pathway to peace, taking as he did this sinful world as it is, not as it would have it, trusting that he will make things right if I surrender to his will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever and ever in the next. Amen. If you haven't heard the long version, it's pretty good, isn't it? Right? Like reasonably happy. Get off of your unrealistic expectations because you're just never going to be able to get there until we live forever and ever with him in the next life. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I've been where you've been. I lived where you lived. I was born into a messy family situation. But... Take heart because I have overcome the world. And if, if, if you don't accept Jesus into your real life, in your real family, then you're missing the point of the birth of this baby. That Jesus wanted to show up and be in the middle of our unraveled life and our Christmas table that somehow didn't look like it did on that 
Instagram post. That's exactly why he came the way that he did. Do not glamorize his birth, and maybe it will help you to understand. Because if we don't get that, we will spend the next month in all kinds of anxiety, and we will be disappointed and frustrated, especially when we're around family members that have hurt us. Just remember, it's not your job to change them. Your job is to allow Jesus to change you and how you view your family. And you'll never be able to do that as long as your, 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 your values and, and, and the way that you live your life is chained to how your family behaved or lived their life. You'll be constantly trying to manipulate them and it'll never work. And the reason that Jesus would come to the earth like he did, and the reason that he could sit with the, with the drunkards and the tax collectors and the prostitutes was because his sense of purpose and his self-worth were grounded in his relationship with God. And as he was grounded in his relationship with God, as he loved God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, he could love his neighbor as himself. And everybody else was attracted to him like crazy. And that is the opposite of what so many Christians are like. Jesus just had this life that radiated love. So if there's one thing I'd give you to take away as we start our Christmas season, it's this, accept Christ into your real family this Christmas, not the family that you wish you had. Your real one, just like he did. When you gather with them, it might be helpful to imagine Jesus being right beside you at the dinner table. Imagine him hearing the same conversation you're hearing, eating the same ham. He's okay with ham now, okay? And witnessing the same conflicts. And imagine him being there with you. Just, just imagine that. I mean, imagine him being there with the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the, and, and the people that nobody else loved, right? And the self-righteous Pharisees and, and, and all of those religious people. And he loved every one of them. Just, just imagine Jesus in your family. And then he can work in, in you and your family. And you can stop saying, well, I sure wish my life was different. Dallas Willard said it this way. Your life is not something you can stand apart from and consider what it would be like if you had a different one. It's your life. Imagine what it would be like this Christmas if we take our hands off of the control and just try to love the people around us, like Joseph and Mary, tried to love the people around them. And like Jesus grew up and loved all the people around him, grounded in the fact that he could take heart, that he was going to overcome the world. And we can do the same thing. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the Christmas story. It's so it's so meaningful to dig back into it every year. It's fun to put up the nativity and talk to the grandkids about Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus in the car seat and all that stuff that we do this time of year. It's awesome. And the trees and the decorations and the, and the fun, the festivities. But Lord, will you help us lower our expectations? Because this is going to be a really tricky year. Some of us haven't been with some family in a really long time. 
may you bless us with your spirit, as Todd talked about a couple of weeks ago, living inside of us so that the fruit comes out and we can love those who are around us, even if they didn't deserve it, because that's what you did to us. It's in your name.